We are in Ephesians chapter 3. Let me pray for us, and we'll take a look at what Paul's talking about. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for all these kids running around the church, and the opportunity that is, and how you have been moving so greatly in their lives. I pray you do it still tonight as they examine your scripture, and as uh, Jared talks to the youth about compartmentalizing their lives, I pray they would open it, open be open to You in all areas of their lives. Help us to, in here, have our hearts open to what You're going to say through Ephesians chapter 3. Through something Paul wrote many, many years ago, but still powerful today. In Your name I pray, Amen. So, Paul, if, you, if you've been here, remember, Paul wrote Ephesians to kind of these little house churches that met around the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was a massive city um, with a whole lot of people. And he wrote this to this church that they would distribute among their little house churches. And it was made up of Jews and Gentiles. Uh, but there were a lot of Gentiles in that church. And uh, he finished out chapter 2. He'd been talking about, uh, particularly, he'd been talking to the Gentiles. Uh, but it was stuff that the Jews could take and apply to their own lives. Uh, but then he begins chapter 3, building on what he talked in chapter 2, uh, and then kind of takes a side road a little bit, chases a rabbit. Uh, but look at verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 3. He says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. So he says, For this reason, referring back to what he said at the end of the last chapter, where he's talking about the building of the church. Um, now here, all the way in chapter 3, we get the first reference to his imprisonment. He says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. Uh, now, he doesn't necessarily highlight the fact that he was, it, he was in prison writing this letter, but because that was not the focus of the letter. It wasn't about the fact that he was in prison. He uses his situation in prison uh, as a teaching point to these Ephesian Christians. You know, but how often today do we use our situations sometimes as an opportunity to elicit sympathy from other people. You know, through subtle comments in conversation, through social media posts. I know you've never seen a social media post of somebody saying how bad their life is just wanting to get the comments back. You know, you've never seen that before, right? Uh, uh, you know, sometimes we do it in prayer requests or just outright complaining about how bad our life is and how bad our situation is. But Paul doesn't do that. I mean, he's in a Roman prison. You know, that's pretty much as bad as you can get. I mean, he's going to end up getting beheaded in a Roman prison. Uh, but he's in a Roman prison, and he mentions it here not to elicit sympathy, uh, but to use it as a teaching point. You know, uh, he wants to, to really drive home something specific. And so he mentions it, but he's not going to bring it up again until later on. Um, you know, I, when it comes to us in mentioning issues with us, now we, and we should mention things that we're struggling with, for prayer, uh, but we should always check our heart for the reason behind why we mention what we mention. Um, if it's genuine wanting prayer and encouragement and uh, needing strength, then that's exactly what we should be doing, James chapter 5. But if it's to get the focus on us and not on Jesus, then that's the opposite of what we should be doing. You see, Paul, uh, in, even in bringing up the fact that he's in prison, he's pointing to the Lord. 
And he only brought up his circumstance because it would further what he is trying to talk about. And so he says, he's in prison on behalf of you Gentiles. Now, there had been a, an enormous Jewish, Jewish opposition that had arisen against Paul that resulted in his imprisonment uh, and ultimate beheading uh, because of his direct, um, as a direct result of his outreach to the Gentiles. Some people didn't like the idea of Paul reaching out to certain types of people. Uh, similar to the book of Jonah, reaching out to the Ninevites, he didn't like the fact that God sent him to reach out to the Ninevites because he was prejudiced against them. But Paul, he's not going to limit the scope of the gospel when God meant it for all people. But some people didn't like that. Have you in your life ever seen believers have a hard time with reaching out to certain kinds of people? You ever seen that? People have a hard time with that, reaching out to certain kinds of people, making them uncomfortable. What, what, what should our reaction be in that moment? Should be love. Should be love. Even if it makes us uncomfortable, it makes us feel weird. Yeah, I remember uh, it was my dad's church many, many years ago. Uh, there was a guy who came in the church and it made this one gentleman feel very uncomfortable to have this guy there. And my dad's church is a large church, so he went, they have police on campus. Uh, so he went and got this policeman and brought him over and the police said, the guy's not doing anything. And the pastor found out about it. And this other guy who brought the policeman over was a deacon and the pastor got all up in that guy's face and said, you don't be doing this at all. We need everybody coming to this church and you're about to scare somebody off who needs Jesus. Uh, you need to get right. Um, and so Paul here, uh, he, he just does it in this. I mean, it's a small verse, verse 1. It's a very small verse. But he mentions the fact that he is in prison is because he reached out to Gentiles. And he's going to go into detail in a second. Um, but he was being persecuted because he wanted all people to have the gospel. Because he wanted all people to know the love of God. Uh, and so he mentions this. And so he builds, so I want you to, the rest of this chapter is interesting. Paul, there's, Paul's about to do something that he does often. He'll introduce an idea and then he'll get sidetracked and he'll spend verse after verse after verse on his sidetrack. Uh, and so he introduces this idea, he starts a point of argument here in verse 1 that he's not going to pick up again until after a huge chunk of scripture. And so he gets sidetracked, and so now verses 2 through 13 are him chasing a rabbit. Uh, and so verse 2 and 3, Paul writes, Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So Paul believes here, what he's saying, that he has been entrusted with the only message of grace that there is by Almighty God himself. And, and this is a a weighty responsibility that he has possessing a message that has been commissioned by the king. And it's not to be taken lightly, even in the slightest. And because Paul's been given this message of grace by God, he cannot let it go without delivering it. And that's why he accepted persecution and imprisonment and torture, because he knew the importance of the message that he was carrying. And in truth, this responsibility that Paul carries about this message, this stewardship of God's grace, he's carrying the message of God's grace, 
this responsibility is the same one that each one of us carries today uh, into our days. Uh, but we don't necessarily always understand the incredible importance of that responsibility. Uh, because if we did, we might act differently. Do you think your actions demonstrate the value of the message that we carry? In reading, me reading this, I'm deeply convicted. I mean, this is Paul. He wasn't a preacher by trade. He was a tent maker by trade. You know, he was something else by trade. And then when he gave his life to Christ, he had to come up with a new job because he was only trained to be a Pharisee. Um, and so he got trained to make tents. So he made tents. And we only know that that was his career because he makes one side mention of it. He wasn't defined by his career. He was defined by his relationship with Jesus. And so he's in jail because he told people about Jesus. And his actions of telling these people, for him, he could not have acted any other way because he thought that the message of God's grace was so important that he could not hold it in. It had to come out of his mouth. And so he's out there telling all these people about Jesus, and it ends up with him getting put into prison. And just think about your life for a second. How would your day tomorrow look like, or what would it look like, if you walked around with the full understanding that Paul did of the weight of the message you carry? You know, it, it, he says, you have, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace, this is the only message of grace, is the one Paul has. This is it. And so because this is it, this is plan A for eternity, he is going to give everything to this. Even if it means, as a tent maker, some people won't buy from him. Even if it means getting thrown in prison like he was, and ultimately losing his life. For him, this was the most important thing. And he was willing to sacrifice everything that was temporary of this world for that thing. Um, so that's why he's there. Look at verses 4 and 5. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it is now, or as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Paul's writing really makes it plain not only his personal belief in the gospel of grace, uh, and it also makes clear his personal conviction of the communication of the gospel to as many people as possible. See, Paul's writing at this point, being in prison, was his only source of interaction with people, except for the guards who would come in and guard him. So because this is his only source of interaction with people, he's going to leverage his interaction to be completely centered around the gospel. He doesn't have any small talk. He dives right into the gospel. And that should honestly be the case with all of us. Our interaction opportunities should be leveraged to communicate our primary function here on this earth as messengers of the gospel of grace. It reminds me of, have you ever heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir out of Brooklyn, New York? Brooklyn Tabernacle is a huge church in New York. Um, Jim Symbol is the pastor, wrote a phenomenal book, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. 
and uh, the, their choir is unreal. Because, he, he, well, first of all, his wife is the choir director, and she doesn't read music at all. Um, and neither, do, um, neither does any, almost anybody in the choir. Uh, they just sing because they can hear it. Um, they've been blessed with, with phenomenal talent. But I had a friend one time go to one of their concerts as they toured the country. And afterwards, the choir, who pays their own way to all the concerts, uh, they would come out and they would just talk to people. And what my friend said is no matter what we talked about, you know, talked about New York, talked about sports teams, talked about what it was like to go to church in, you know, the heart of Brooklyn. Um, with, he said within 90 seconds, every single one of them brought the conversation back to Jesus without fail. No matter where he, what they were talking about, where they were going, what the best pizza in New York was, every time it came back to Jesus. Uh, and he said, I walked away from that reevaluating every one of my own conversations. Uh, he says, what he told me is, he said, a lot of times what I try to do is avoid Jesus in the conversation, trying to not offend the other person I'm talking to, <laughs> trying not to make it awkward. Um, but Paul is leveraging his interaction for the case, for the sake of the gospel. And he mentions there something, this phrase, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ is really the truth of the gospel being for everyone, together united, that Jesus, God's Son, came and died so all our sins would be forgiven and rose from the dead so we can live after we die. Uh, this was hoped for in previous generations, but it was unknown in previous generations until it happened, Jesus coming and dying and raising. And this mystery of the gospel was revealed in the first generation of believers through the Spirit. You know, Jesus came and died and rose, and that those first generation of people believed in that, and then they went out and told other people about Jesus, who went, then went out and told other people about Jesus, uh, trying to win as many people to Christ as possible, and on and on and years and years down the road until it gets to us. And so just like somebody told them about Jesus, and a man came and told Paul about Jesus, people told us about Jesus, and we believed, whoever it was. I mean, I could, for me, it was my dad. I remember being in my dad's office um, believing in Jesus. Whoever it was who led you to Christ, that they were almost handing you the baton that now it's yours to bring as many people to Christ as possible today. For, and you have been handed that for such a time as this, for this moment, to bring those people to Christ. We have been given that same weighty responsibility. What do we do with it? What do we do with that weighty responsibility? How do we handle it? How do we function? What, how are we walking around in the world? I often think if Paul were in my shoes with all the technology available today and just all the freedom we have in America, how would he be operating? And again, deeply convicting. It, it would be, I mean, he would, he's already nonstop in what we see in the book of Acts, but he would be everywhere all over social media. He would be all over everything, just blasting God's grace at every juncture. Um, as we see, as we're going to see here in a minute, bringing the gospel to everybody, irregardless of what anybody thinks. Irregardless, sometimes for his own personal safety. Somebody needs Jesus, he's going to do it. Somebody's already got Jesus, great! I'm going to go over here because they don't have Jesus yet. Um, and that's who Paul was. Taking the mystery of the gospel anywhere and everywhere 
he possibly could, as quickly as he possibly could. Uh, look at verse 6. He, he, he further describes what this mystery of the gospel is, this mystery of Christ. He says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, you see, in the Old Testament, it had been communicated that Gentiles could come to believe. Uh, but the believers in the Old Testament, the Jews, really had a hard time accepting Gentiles into the family of believers on equal footing. Um, even though God said if they believe, then they have equal footing. The Jews had a hard time accepting that and considered them as second-class citizens um, because of who they came from and where they came from. And so the Gentiles were thought of as less than by the vast majority of Jews. And so here Paul is saying that the message of the gospel saves all people who believe and places them on equal standing before God. No one group of people are more highly favored than any other group of people. And that's the very reason Paul is in prison. Um, this is the purpose of the gospel, to bring people, irregardless of lineage, irregardless of background or race or past decisions, into the family of God through a common belief in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And some people, in dealing with Paul, were having a real hard time with this. But Paul is not going to steer away from the difficult things in Scripture simply because some people don't like it. Um, and so he dives right into it. And he comes right out and he says it here. Gentile believers are considered equal heirs of the same inheritance as Jewish believers under the power of Christ. So I also find it fascinating. He's repeating in this letter that he has to undoubtedly be read by his, you know, his jailers. He's repeating the very thing that he got thrown in jail for. But the truth of the gospel was more important than his release. And he wanted these people to know that. You see, as long as he followed the direction of the Lord, if God wanted him out of prison, then he would get out of prison. If following the Lord led to his imprisonment, then he was needed in prison. That as long as he's doing what God wants him to do, he's right where God needs him to be. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given me by the working of his power. So, Paul was given an assignment when he received the gift of God's grace uh, as a result of the saving work of Jesus, dying and raising. And he calls himself a minister there, but the word that Paul uses in the Greek literally means servant. It means servant. So, in, that's right in keeping, right in line with the language earlier when he calls himself a steward. Paul refers to himself as a servant because of God's saving grace. And so his, it's his responsibility as a servant then to be the servant of the one who bestowed him the gift of grace, Jesus. And as a servant, it's his responsibility to follow every direction given by the one to whom he is in service. And so, again, that's the responsibility of all believers. That's the assignment of all believers. Well, that word minister there in verse 7 kind of throws us off sometimes. It can be misleading because of our modern-day American usage of the word. Paul's intention was not that this responsibility lies squarely on the shoulders of those who bear the official salaried title of minister, but uh, on the contrary, his intention is that all believers accept their assigned roles as servants of the Most High God, wherever he tells them to go, doing whatever he tells them to do. 
Have you ever seen somebody serve the Lord even when it meant great hardship? Even when it meant people misunderstood what they were doing? Even when it meant people went after them for it? And so Paul, he's saying, I was given this assignment by God. Some of these people didn't understand it, and so they threw me in prison for it. But God told me to do it, and so I'm not going to back down from it. Because for him, he serves a constituency of one, Jesus. And at the end of the day, he's going to step into heaven. He's going to be accountable to God. When we step into heaven, we're not going to be accountable to each other. (laughs) We're accountable to God and God alone. And sometimes people may misconstrue and misunderstand as they did with Paul, as they did with Jesus. People thought Jesus was a sinner because he hung out with sinners. People thought Jesus did all kinds of bad things that he did not do simply because of assumption and gossip and rumor because of some of the people he was trying to bring to God. But we have to follow the Lord's direction. Or as I've quoted him many times, Charles Stanley says, Obey the Lord and leave all the consequences to Him. And whatever happens, happens. And so here Paul is in prison, writing this letter, trying to encourage these people to continue to obey the Lord and follow the Lord in the assignment He's given them, where He's placed them. Look at verse 8. He says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So Paul says, I am the very least of all the saints. Of all the Christians, I am the lowest. I'm, the, I'm in last place. Paul's assignment quote, felt to him quite large compared to what he knew of himself considering who he knew he was and where he knew he came from, what he had done in his past, which he goes into detail in other places, uh, even to the point of killing people. Um, Paul's job, though, was to speak the gospel to everyone, as it was assigned in the Great Commission to every believer, you know, to uh, go into all the world and uh, make disciples of all people. But... Specifically here in this verse, um, he says he's, he was assigned to go to the Gentiles with the message of the gospel of grace. And it was also on him, as he believed, the Lord instructed him to speak to the unification of all people in Christ. You see there in verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is plain, what is the plain, uh, what is the plan of the mystery, which he said in a previous verse, the mystery was, Believing in the gospel of Christ, and that brought all people together in one body. Um, That's the mystery. So Gentiles, Jews, different races, different backgrounds, people being brought together, unified uh, in Jesus. And so for him, he believed that he was instructed by God to do this. Told by God to tell people along with the gospel that belief brought eternal life for everyone and inclusion in the same eternal experience as everyone else who believes. So he sought to communicate this universally equal eternal value of each believer, no matter what. 
Jesus' saving work elevates all who believe to the same level before a perfect God. And so he's out there telling people this, knowing that in telling people this, he's going to get in trouble for it. It brings to mind in the book of Acts when uh, um, Peter and John were telling people about Jesus. And before they could finish their sermon, they were arrested in the middle of it. And so being arrested in the middle of their sermon, the other Christians who were in the crowd had to finish it and give the invitation and bring people to Christ. It's that idea, as Paul says, I'm going to keep preaching and keep telling people about Jesus. And every time he says preach, that that doesn't mean stand up on a platform and tell people. That just means tell people about Jesus. He says, I'm going to tell people about Jesus until I'm dead. To the very last breath that comes out of my mouth, it's going to be about coming to Jesus. I'm going to do everything I possibly can to bring people to Jesus, because that's what this life is all about. Verse 10, he says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The church, the unified group of people who believe in Jesus, they reveal something specific to some specific individuals. And the church is to reveal there in that verse, the manifold wisdom of God. What in the world does that mean? Anybody? The manifold, I know y'all use that phrase a lot, manifold wisdom, right? In all your languages, <laughs> manifold wisdom of God. That's right, yeah. It's like, maybe Paul was prophesying about cars. He had no idea where he was going with this. He was uh, embodying Henry Ford. Um, this word manifold, uh, it, what it, 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 it's a very interesting word. It means intricately interweaving many different parts into one. Intricately interweaving many different parts into one, which is exactly what he's been talking about with the, many, with the Jews and the Gentiles and all these different people being brought into one uh, uh, unified body of Christ. And so what God did in his wisdom is he brought everyone together for one unique purpose. Uh, it, through God's wisdom, many different people strategically and uh, intricately brought together through his saving grace. I mean, where else in the world can people of such varying lifestyles and backgrounds and thought processes and voting patterns come together in one place and be unified? Only in Christ, only in the church, only as disciples of Jesus. He says this is what it's all about. The existence of the church, it it comprised many different individual parts, many different individual people serving together towards one unified purpose. And that reveals the power of God's wisdom to these spiritual beings. He says they're the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That is a a, a way to say uh, spiritual beings, angels and demons, basically. And the way he phrases it there seemingly means both good and bad heavenly beings good and bad spiritual beings previously they were not able to see what god was doing they didn't understand they didn't know god's plan which jesus said no one knows uh the day or the hour when he's coming back nobody knows the fullness of god's plan but god alone and so this was a a revelation even to these spiritual beings But through the existence of the unified church, God's great redemption plan is now revealed to them. Our unification displays that. 
It probably also helps us to see part of the reason why Paul emphasized unity so often. Our unity as a church is a part of God's plan of the gospel of grace all along. You know, Jesus said in John 17, that's how the world will know we belong to him, by how we love one another. And so what Paul is saying here uh, in that verse 10 is that how we love one another, how we treat one another, how we, how we interact with one another is also a revelation to angels and demons that we belong to Jesus. And so Paul is diving into this and saying, there's more important things than assumption about personal offense. <laughs> there's, the gospel is more important than any of this temporary stuff. And Paul's telling them, that's why I'm in jail. That's why I'm in a Roman prison. And you people are arguing about who sits where in the church building. <laughs> who sings what songs? Whether the preacher's wearing sandals or sneakers or dress shoes. Jeans or, or, or dress pants. Exactly right. Yes. I saw my, I saw my uh, khakis in the closet the other day. I can't remember the last time I wore them. I'm sure, I know it was here. I just don't remember when it was. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, I know, yeah. And I've got one suit I wear to weddings and funerals. So. Uh, but there's there's more important things than that stuff. Do what? No, I've got yeah, I've got plenty of jeans. <laughs> and I told Katie yesterday I do need some socks for Christmas, but that's it. So <laughs> uh, not dress socks, not dress socks, not dress socks. Now I do I do have a couple pairs of. Dress. <laughs> Hope saw a pair of my dress socks the other day. Somebody had given it for Christmas one year, gave me Toy Story dress socks. Uh, and she told me I need to wear those. Maybe I'll wear those Sunday. <laughs> With my jeans and sneakers. With my jeans and sneakers, I'll wear my Toy Story dress socks. Um, uh, but Paul says there's, there's more important stuff than any of that. And it's just about the gospel and everybody getting the gospel. Every person getting the gospel. He said, that's why I'm in prison. Verse 11 and 12. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now I want to ask you before, before we get into it, what do y'all think those two verses mean? All this was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. And even though we have full access to His eternal purpose, to His presence, are there times that even in our subconscious back of our minds, we feel we have to talk to Him in a different way than we talk to other people? Yeah. Or use certain words to Him that we don't use with other people? Or we feel like if we prayed this one way and the prayer happened that way, we need to get in the same physical position, the same you know, uh, uh, way we say the words need to be exact same so He answers our prayer again. And, or we need to play a certain song before we can feel certain kind of spirituality. Um, sometimes that's, even though mentally we won't say that's what we do, sometimes we do do that. Well, and, and being who He made us. 
in that conversation, in that relationship. I have a good friend, a really good friend, who's a preacher. And you can always tell what preacher he's watching the most because it comes out in how he preaches. Exactly. Like, oh, he's been watching Adrian Rogers. Oh, he's been watching Joel Osteen. Oh, he's been watching uh, uh, Charles Stanley. Or, oh, he's been watching this guy, that guy. Katie knows who I'm talking about. Because I'm like, I'll be watching him, and I'll be like, he's been watching Adrian Rogers again. I can, I can see it. That's just his, his cadence. That's just it. Or he's been smiling a lot. It's Joel Osteen right there all over him. You know, it's just, yeah, but you just got to be who you've got to be, who God made you to be. Because he made us all different. And mimicking other people doesn't make us more spiritual. We, we, we can mimic each other in, in certain things. Uh, understanding that those, it's not the actual thing that makes us more holy. But it can create within us sometimes a better discipline in knowing God. Um, and so Paul is saying here in verse 11 and 12, you know, the unity in revelation to the spiritual beings from verse 10, that was God's plan all along. That God brought to fruition through Jesus' death and resurrection. A belief in Jesus grants us some things that were not possible before. And so we had the boldness there and the access. We have the opportunity for boldness. That word literally means candid freedom of speech, as though we're with a close friend or family member. Do you have friends or family members around whom you're completely relaxed and you can really say whatever and you won't be any judgment? There's not any thought in your mind that there will be judgment. You're just free to say whatever and you're fine. You know, there's, you know, Katie and I, you know, we, we, we'll, we talk a lot, obviously, but, you know, there are things that I can, there's a way I can speak with Katie because she knows me best. And there's a way I can speak with, you know, my parents or my sisters, where, whereas with some people I might not say, what in the world are you doing? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. But I can call up my sister and say, you need to take that post down right now. <laughs> that is terrible. Um, uh, and it, there's an understanding there that I never do that with Katie, ever. Right? Yeah. 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 Exactly right. Uh, and so it's, it's that idea of this this candor, this intimacy that that allows this freedom of speech that you can just speak whatever because in reality he already knows what's in our heart to begin with and so why not just be transparent he knows what's there don't try to hide it with big fat sat words just be who you are and speak it out loud and so we have this so that's what he means when he says boldness there is that freedom of speech and then he says we have access with confidence this this gifted confident access it's the idea of being able to approach his presence whenever and wherever it's like the freedom you would have in a friend's house or a family member's house where you can just walk in you don't got to knock you just walk in and it's that idea with jesus his door's always open you just walk in you don't even think about it you just in and he's there to to be there for you uh, there's no timidity in approaching him it's not like the door's open but you're just kind of peeking in the door like i don't know if i can come in or not if he's busy uh, it's not an idea. It's we can just walk right in and start speaking with Him. It's an all-access pass granted to us because of our faith in the work of Jesus uh, in the gospel of grace. 
So we can have boldness. We can have freedom of speech. We can have access to Him at all times, however we're feeling, in whatever moment we're feeling. And when we're speaking to Him, sometimes even when we're not very happy with the way things are playing out, you can read the Psalms, and some of those Psalms start off like with David, and he's very unhappy with the way things are going, with how God is allowing things to go. Why haven't you brought justice? God, why haven't you? You need to knock that guy's teeth out and kill all his kids. And David says some of that. But what David does in speaking that in the Psalms is he continues to communicate with the Lord. And what you notice in every single one of those times, by the end of that Psalm, he's praising God. Communicating with, with God changed his tune. He didn't just stop. I mean, that's like a 15... You know, those, those psalms, like 15 verses. He didn't stop at verse 3 just with the complaining. He kept going until God changed him. It's because he had access to God. God already knew what was there. So he was going to, in freedom, speak it and allow God to change his perspective. And God did every time. And so we have this all-access pass. We have this freedom with the Lord. Look at verse 13. And Paul says, as he wraps up his sidetrack here, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So remember how this started. He's talking about being in prison. He's concerned for the spiritual and mental well-being of these believers in Ephesus. He's concerned that his imprisonment, his imprisonment because he shared the gospel with them and taught them that, they're now, that they are now the recipients of the same inheritance uh, in Christ. He was afraid that being in prison because of that would result in their discouragement, almost feeling like it was their fault that he was in prison because of this. But he says, it's your glory. Why do you think it's, he says it that way? It's your glory. Uh, he didn't want the, these people to struggle with the fact that he was suffering. Rather, he wanted them to understand that his imprisonment is really a point of glory. Because any suffering as a result of following the Lord is a pleasing offering to God. So this seems to be the point of him bringing up imprisonment to begin with. Not to bring attention to himself. Instead, it's to comfort these Ephesians and to demonstrate, using himself as an illustration, that suffering for your obedience to the Lord is a great worshipful offering. It's glory offered to God. It can be a point of praise when it's offered as such, from an attentive heart. You see, there's a difference of suffering and complaining about it and obeying the Lord and suffering as a result. A lot of, most of the time here on this earth, we suffer because of our own fault, <laughs> uh, because of boneheaded things we do or say or situations we get ourselves into. But when we're obeying the Lord and we struggle or suffer as a result, that can be a pleasing offering to God. Because we're doing what God wanted and whatever happened was a result of us obeying God. So Paul being in prison, he's saying this is a point of glory. Not drawing attention to himself. He's saying this is a point of glory. I'm suffering for because I told you people about the gospel. Because everyone deserves to know about the gospel. I'm suffering and struggling because I want everybody to know about Jesus. And that's a point of glory, a glory to God that I am presenting to him, but also glory for you because you received the gospel that I presented the very reason I'm in jail now. 
And so he's saying it's a point of praise when we offer it with an attentive heart and not present it as a point of pride of how much we suffer. You know, sometimes that happens in Christian circles. Somebody says they struggle, they've struggled so bad with this, and somebody tries to one-up them and say, well, I've struggled so much with this. Well, you know, I struggled with this, and then I lost a finger. Well, I struggled with this and lost five fingers, and I struggled with this and lost my five fingers, and my dog died the same day. You know, and we, and we do that sometimes. And uh, if you've ever taught sixth grade Sunday school, you know that happens. Uh, but it happens with adults, not just sixth graders. Um, but the point of all this is, for Paul is to keep the attention on Jesus and not to draw attention to himself that he's in prison, but to use himself as an illustration of I'm suffering because I obeyed God. And that is glory. That is praise to the Lord. Do you know of anybody who's ever suffered in some capacity because they obeyed God and went through a great ordeal because they obeyed God? I do. They obeyed God. I, I can think, there's a guy, I, I have these little booklets in my office. I need to give the leadership team, I gave them some years ago, I need to give to you, them again. Uh, this pastor, that I talked to about a minute ago, um, who got in that guy's face. Um, he came to this church, and they were relocating to a new location. And he received all kinds of threats. I mean, people were terrible. Um, and they sold their church, their building, to... Uh, another church of a different race and people went crazy um, they actually coexisted in the same building with this other church for a year and a half um, which, no matter the race that's difficult um, but he the morning of the vote to sell the church to this other church he was he left his church early to get to church he got a call at his house and the guy on the phone says I know where you live if you, if you leave your house to go to church, you're not going to make it. He hung up the phone, and I don't know if I'd have the courage to do what he did next. He told his wife. <laughs> and <laughs> Well, and they didn't live as close to the church as, as we do. Um, he had to drive a little ways. They, he said they, said they knelt down and prayed right there next to the phone. And he walked out and got in his car. He wouldn't let his wife get in the car with him. He got in his car and drove to church. Nothing happened to him. But there were a whole bunch of guys laying down on the concrete from his parking spot to his office door to try to keep him from getting in the building. So he went in a different door. <laughs> the church voted overwhelmingly to sell the church. And they found out soon thereafter the land they had purchased to build their church on, a developer bought the land right behind it and built 500 homes right next to their church. Um, the Lord blessed in incredible ways through perseverance, through strength, through death threats. When we obey the Lord, what comes, comes. And it's an offering of praise when we step faithfully in whatever He's placed us in next. Sometimes it's just, I just got to get through today. I just need enough faith to make it through today. And the Lord will provide everything we need for today. Because that's what we're supposed to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give me this day my daily bread. And so here's Paul in a Roman prison trying to encourage other people, encouraging us today. Just obey the Lord today and see where He takes you.
Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for today and the journey you've set us all on individually. Because we're all walking the path that you've put us on, and it's all different. But just as we saw Paul's situation here in Ephesians 3, even though all of our paths are different and all of our situations are different, you've brought us together unified in your body, in your church, for your purpose, your eternal purpose. God, I pray we would live it. I pray we would love each other. I pray we would walk in the way you have for us. Walk in obedience to you. Come what may. Because we're accountable only to you. I pray we would find great comfort in Ephesians chapter 3 as we see Paul walking the road he's on. And I pray we would hear your voice and walk that path and be who you made us to be. At every opportunity, bringing as many people to the gospel as possible. In your name I pray, amen.